remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. Upgrade your mindset, transform your body, uncover your purpose. Welcome to Torchbearer with Ollie Herman Taylor. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Torchbearer podcast. Uh, it's Ollie here. Thank you as always for listening. So this week I've got a really good episode for you from a career in corporate investment banking to clubhouse superstar from cold water exposure. And I mean proper cold water exposure, not just uh, turning the dial of the shower down to cold for 30 seconds at the end of the shower. From personal branding to starting online businesses and then leveraging social media platforms like Instagram and Clubhouse to grow a business and earn a living. This week's guest covers a lot of territory. It's a really good conversation. It was a pleasure to record. It also marks a first for the Torchbearer podcast. I'm a little bit embarrassed to say, Lindsay, Lindsay Suzanne, this week's guest, is the first woman to come onto the show. She's going to be the first of many. I have some really good guests planned for you in the coming months, but I think you're going to really enjoy this episode and this week's guest, Lindsay Suzanne. If you go to ollihermantaylor.com forward slash podcast, you can find this episode and you can see all of Lindsay's links so you can find out where to follow her, see her websites and her courses and things like that, and find her on social media. So without further ado, here is Lindsay Suzanne. So Lindsay, welcome to the Torchbearer podcast. And before I kind of uh, you know ask you the first question I've got in mind, I wanted to say I- I'm really embarrassed that you're actually the first woman who's been on my podcast. I'm in series two now. And looking back, I realized that I, ha- I haven't had any women talking about business and fitness and all of the things that are important to me and my audience. So um, first of all, I need to apologize to everyone for that. But also, you know, it's great to have you here. Wow. I mean, how many episodes have you done before I'm the first female that's come on? I mean, it sounds dramatic, doesn't it? I, I'm only up to number about sort of 12. So actually, yeah, it's not it's not a crazy amount, but there should have been more equal distribution. I feel uh, I feel it's uh, not representing things properly. Um, I want to paint a really quick picture. So I started my day this morning. I woke up, you know, not super early, about seven-ish, and we've got some chickens. And I went outside and it was really cold. <laughs> it was really frosty. There was a heavy frost on the grass. I had to break the water to let the chickens in. And that water was absolutely freezing. And so I was wrapped up. I had a woolly hat on. I had like, you know, puffer jackets, jumpers and stuff. And I kind of did that. And I was outside for about 10 minutes and I, I came back in uh, and I was really glad that the heating was on in the house. But how did you start your day today? I knew where this was going straight away. Um, okay, so similar temperature. So I'm in the UK as well. So it was um, zero degrees. I started off, uh, alarm went off at quarter to six, defrosted the car and drove 17 miles to dive into the sea, which has dropped two and a half degrees over the last week. And it was 10 degrees this morning and was in for eight minutes. Um, and just for those of you that are probably thinking, oh, wetsuit, not that bad. Yeah, I don't wear a wetsuit. So <laughs> it was um, it was a greyer day today. So not quite as enticing and inviting as when it's a beautiful sunrise. But nonetheless, it was a fresh start to the day. And it's that getting changed. And that's, that's cold. That's when you feel cold. So yeah, slightly different, but still fresh. <laughs> Similar kind of climate because we're not far away in the UK. And you know, so I love the fact that you scraped off your car first and you, I didn't realize you drove 17 miles, but, but the thing is, this is the important thing is that you actually just, you got into the sea, which is what, 10, 10 degrees. And it's like roughly three degrees outside. You got in without a wetsuit, without a dry suit, without gloves and hats and things like that. You're in a swimming costume, essentially. 
do wear water shoes just because when your feet are cold, it's a whole nother realm um, and normally wear gloves. It depends if I'm filming with my iPhone or not because they're a bit of a hindrance. But I mean, let's not lie. The gloves and shoes don't make too much of a difference when it's 10 yeah. degrees nor in skins. <laughs> I was going to say tip of the iceberg, but uh, excuse the sort of the kind of pun. So, so I mean, this is an incredible start to the day because, you know, there's been a huge trend in what the last five years or so with uh, Wim Hof and his his fascinating work and cold exposure. And then there's so much research into it now in the biohacking world, you know, about how exposing yourself to cold is really beneficial. And we can dive into that in a second. But, you know, for a lot of people, it's it's a good idea. It's something they want to do. It's something that they know they should do at some point. And maybe if they're committed, they will turn the shower down, you know, to kind of like full cold for like 30 seconds. But you've, you've been going into the sea for quite a long time now. You know, this is not the first time you've done this. You've, you've been building up to this for a while. No, I, I didn't wake up this crazy this morning. Um, I actually started sea dipping at the worst time of year when it, the sea is at its coldest. And it would have been November 2010. 20 um i've been in the sea before but i like became obsessed with it um and it was actually because my anxiety was quite high and i look some people wouldn't jump in the sea and some people wouldn't jump in a cold shower i actually don't enjoy cold showers having the water hit my head first and sort of standing at the same brick wall just looking at my shower is nowhere near as distracting and as inviting as watching a beautiful sunrise on the beach and just having that kind of outdoor experience. So that as much as they are much of the same, for me, they are still very, very different. Yes, okay, you do get the similar benefits in terms of getting to control your breath. Um, it actually really helps you focus. It wakes you up. I find that you get a, a different type of revitalised energy from it as well and much clearer focus. But for me, my real peaceful um, inner tranquility comes from watching a sunrise, knowing that most people are still asleep and capturing a part of the morning that most people only ever look at on Instagram photos and go, wow, that's pretty. And they don't actually experience it. And you're, you're there with one of very few. There is a team of us that now go in the water at the moment. But I know as the sun rises, when the clock's change, the sunrises become earlier, I'll be the one that goes down for the sunrise. That team of people will still go to jump in the sea. But for me, it's actually the sunrise that drags me there more than the, than the sea dip. And it, the whole, the two can together they just set me up for the whole day and I end up buzzing off the back of it and don't get me wrong a year down the line I still don't want to get up and do it's dark it's cold it is a drive um I typically listen to an audiobook on the way so I kind of feel like I get a bit of a double whammy and I've actually just said yesterday I might as well put it out there that I might start working out on route so that I've kind of doubled up the reason why I'm driving that far before an eight minute dip <laughs> but Working out not in the car, but when you get there, after the after the. I, I like many people. I do struggle. I, I love working out. I've got a fully equipped gym in the house, but you know we've all been subjected to the lockdown, right? Where there's just our only person, or if we were with a family, and so I started going to the gym to actually just be a bit more sociable and to keep my motivation high. And then they don't open early enough for like before I go and jump in the sea. So the two just aren't working very well together. And you know what it's like, we get busy, nights get darker, suddenly don't really want to go to the gym. And that's coming from a fitness professional. You know, sometimes I struggle to go. So I'm thinking I might try a different tact and try a slightly different habit and see if it means that I'm a bit more consistent because I have noticed that I'm making a few more excuses than usual in the last couple of weeks. But not when it comes to sea dipping, I'll always jump in the sea. <laughs> 
I mean, I love, I love this. There's so much in this that is useful for people to hear. One, there are a couple of big themes that jump out of me, but one of them is a really interesting theme. And, you know, it's this, this thing I've talked about this in the past. It's the difference between consuming and creating. And I think a lot of us, a lot of people out there nowadays, you know, me included, we live our lives vicariously through things like Instagram, through, through things like social media. And we, we watch other people, oh, look at that sunrise on someone else's Instagram feed. And look at that person cold swimming. Look at them doing some Wim Hof stuff. Look at them skateboarding. Look at them doing X, Y, Z. Look at them running a business. Look at them kind of crushing things in their life. And we don't take the step. We, we keep consuming and we don't take the step into actually creating. And I love the fact that, you know, for you, the thing that really lures you down there, amongst other things, is the sunrise, you know, and the fact that you want to get up and you want to witness that sunrise, because I think it's a very special time of day. Not one, I mean, I usually do see it, actually. I'm up early enough, but I'm not on the beach about to leap into like freezing water. So I, th- I think that's really, really fascinating that you kind of, you know, you, you show that um, perhaps you're a driven person and, you know, you kind of find and create these opportunities to uh, to go and get stuck in and to live life and to have experiences, which I think is is super cool. I'm interested in what led you into the water and you mentioned anxiety. And I wondered if you could, you know, would you share that a little bit with, you know, w- what was making you anxious? How was it showing up in your life, that anxiety? And then what was the sort of equation that happened in your head that was like, okay, maybe if I go to the beach and see a sunrise and get into some really cold water, it'll it'll help. Um, so before I ever had any anxiety, I always enjoyed sunrises. I've always found something about sunrises and sunsets. So I've, anyone that's known me for a long time, I used to go to Ibiza constantly, but don't get wrong, I like the party, but I was the one that was dragging people to go to Cafe Del Mar and watch that sunset before we hit the party. So I've all, it's always been an internal pull for me is being outdoors. I've always had that kind of Something about being at nature, I would always count myself as not particularly woo-woo, for want of a better phrase. I don't look at like what's going on with the moon. I don't I don't follow anything like that. But there's just something that it does to me that that I really, really make sure I focus on when I'm feeling a bit stressed, I'd always take myself outdoors or I'd go to the beach. And so during lockdown 2020, it feels like I'm just so confused by the years now. I know, I know. I obviously, like everybody, I got locked down. I live on my own. I do live in the middle of nowhere, which was blissful at times and almost like a prison at other times. The same day that the gyms closed, because we actually closed about a week before the country got locked down. Um, it was one of the first industries. And at the time I was working as an in-person personal trainer. So I pretty much lost all of my income bar a bit overnight. I was had divorce papers land on my doorstep pretty much the same day. And so I was then kind of like propelled into just this very lonely experience with someone that was getting up at 4.30am to drive to the gym. I would do split shifts, but I'd very rarely come home. I'd normally walk the dog, go to the gym myself in the day, um, have coffees with people. Then I was always, always, always talking, always with people. And I guess that didn't really become apparent or I didn't recognise how frequently I was with people until I'm suddenly not with people and I'm on my own. And I've got no problem with my own company. I've very much always done things like that on my own. Like gone, I go shopping on my own. I go to the gym on my own. I, I quite happily take myself away for a weekend on my own. But it's kind of as a choice, not as a, oh, wow, like you are literally on your own. It got to a stage where I didn't even hear um, children playing because I, I don't have neighbours 
for months. I hadn't even left the house because of the land that I live on. I could walk the dog quite easily and I hadn't seen another human for months. And it was actually becoming a little bit like I am legend kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. I felt you'd feel at one stage that I was going to go through some kind of zombie apocalypse. And uh, it was quite funny. I think that's what everyone was waiting for. My, like, my business partner, he lives in Italy. He was like, you know, in the, that early pandemics, he was like, he was waiting for the zombies to come out. He's waiting for that first news story to break. That's like, okay, and coronavirus, and this is what happens. <laughs> I know. And I mean, I look, I take the mick as much as I, as I talk very seriously. And, uh, you know, it wasn't, I had some fantastic moments on my own, trust me. But I, I really do think that towards the end of last year, it sank in. I started to, my sleeping was really impacted, actually. I started to suffer with something called somnophobia, where I became actually scared to go to my own bedroom to sleep. No, I have no clue what triggered it. Um, I actually had, if I look back, I'd noticed now that my sleep had been a problem and very broken across the whole of lockdown. And I think that was a bit of not getting that kind of social element. Um, I was also, why did you need to have a sleeping pattern? You didn't really, did you? Because you could kind of get up and do what you want at any time. I and and you know when when you're on your own, there's no one to adult you and tell you you've got to go to bed now or you've got to turn the TV down now. You know, so I was kind of just doing my own thing and I felt fine for quite a while. And then it, it just one day, literally, and it, it really was the weirdest thing. Woke up very anxious, got in my car, and I love driving. Never had a problem with driving. I do have a convertible, so I have always been a little bit aware of space in general. I would say I'm probably am minor claustrophobic, and had the roof up. I think the weather was really bad and I just had this internal hot flush of panic of I've got to get out, I've got to stop this car now, no reason for it. And that was the first of actually a quick succession of panic attacks throughout the course of that weekend. I had a panic attack. I think at this point the gyms had had reopened. So I had a panic attack in the gym, no reason whatsoever. I was quite happily just on the leg press. But again, that hot flush. And suddenly I started finding that I was, I was right. I don't know if you've ever had a panic attack, but I felt constantly hot. I just couldn't sit down. I couldn't try. I couldn't sleep. I hadn't slept for about three days solid. I couldn't even shut my eyes. And I was, I felt like, um, I literally felt like a psycho, to be honest. I genuinely didn't recognize myself. I couldn't believe this was happening to me because I'm a very rational person. I'm probably a little bit of a control freak, but I am a rational person and I couldn't rationalize anything in my head. And I remember my friend, been on the phone to me just saying, you know, like, this is completely normal. I've had them before, but nothing was sinking in. And um, I am a bit of a doer and I just couldn't live like that. And so for me, I just tried to think, okay, where, what, what calms me down? What can I do? And um, I, someone actually, I think said to me, why don't you just try going for a swim? And I just chucked myself into the sea. And for that very short amount of time, I had a wetsuit on at this stage, but I chucked myself into the sea at this very short amount of time. I didn't have any mobile phone to distract me. I didn't have, I was just me. It was me trying to control my breath, making sure that I wasn't going to drown. Almost feeling on top of the world because there was no one out there with you. And just having like this surreal kind of moment of, okay, let's take a breath here and let's just like figure this out. And that that actually, it became a bit of therapy and it became addictive as well. And I actually did invest in having a coach that took me cold water swimming where we did wetsuit up and things, you know, we're sort of looking at breathing techniques because there's, there's far more to swim. Swim is really technical, as you know, like you're breathing out opposite to how you breathe in real, in, in, in everyday life. But we all take breathing for granted. Mm. 
And I really realized how I don't breathe very well. Like I definitely don't take the right amount of breath through the nose and out the mouth. And, you know, that probably transcends into my sleep. That probably transcends into my relaxation tips. And I'm not someone to sit and meditate. I don't really find that very relaxing. But if you put me in the water, I find trying to control my breath there much more relaxing. So it kind of transcended from there. And then it was only when I was on Clubhouse in Alex's room, totally random. I think it was only the third room I'd ever been on. Heard him talking about cold water swimming jumped over to his Instagram, was like, recognise that beach. And at this point we'd hit lockdown or 2.0 or so, I don't know. It felt yeah, like another one. Another one, I know. <laughs> and um, I just messaged him and I said, hey, look, you look as crazy as I do. Um, you go in the sea every day. I do as well. Any chance that we could team up? And now there's about eight of us that go and, and the team's been going strong for well over a year. And it's just become a bit of a social event, have a coffee afterwards and we're a bunch of crazies together, which is quite nice. <laughs> I love it. It looks epic because, you know, obviously I, I know Alex as well. Um, this is Alex Chisnell, who's the host of Screw It, Just Do It, which is um, a big podcast in the UK. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that it looks looks like you guys have fun and, you know, you've got that crew of people who do it and, you know, you share beautiful photos. I think it's it's, it's fascinating that you've got that connection to nature and that's, that's the sort of first thing that kind of came into your mind. And I think that it's weird in that isolation, that lockdown isolation where we're all on either Zoom calls or kind of, you know, some kind of video screen-based interaction with other people or just completely isolated in like, you know, in the middle of nowhere. After that first initial six weeks where it was beautiful and sunny, it did get difficult for a lot of people. And I think that nature, you know, it's, it's always been a theme for me in my life. And I don't, do you know much about like forest bathing and negative ions and the kind of science with interaction with nature? But yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen little bits about it and there is, it's, what is it called? Is it grounding where you take shoes off? Yeah. And, you them? And, and I've seen little bits, pieces about it. I'm learning more, I'm becoming more and more interested in it. So I'm probably, I wouldn't quote me on anything scientific, but I do have like that understanding and awareness of actually, do you know, I can see why there is some science behind all of this. So I take it you've studied it, have you? I mean, I have just because I like to geek out on that kind of stuff. But I think the nice thing about it is actually is just innate. It's just built into humans. You know, we've evolved in the natural world for so long that, you know, you can't take it out of us. And I think that one of the most potent cures for depression, anxiety, and kind of, you know, mental health on a certain level is just literally plugging people, unplugging them from the digital world and plugging them back into nature. And the nice thing is you don't have to do anything. You don't have to necessarily think. If it's cold water, you have to be a little bit careful and you have to prepare and, you know, gradually expose yourself. But, um, you know, you just do it and nature does the rest. And I think that's a, a cool a cool thing. And a really, it's the first kind of really actionable thing that people can do. If anyone's struggling with some kind of challenge, you know, going and spending time in nature, whether it be cold water or just the sea or going to a beach or any kind of green space is like super, super powerful. But I wanted to ask you, I mean, I don't want to spend too much on, on cold, time on cold water. I just, I, it's fascinating to me is, you know, apart from the science and all of those things, can you sort of summarize the main benefits, changes that you've noticed from that first experience of like really connecting yourself back to your body, I guess, and maybe um, handling the anxiety you were experiencing. What would you say are the main benefits that you, you've experienced and keeps you doing it? Yeah. I mean, I think that the instant gratification of it is that I do, I instantly feel more energized. I can go in, we can all meet up and I can be very, very tired. And between stepping in and stepping out, I can suddenly feel like that kind of buzz that you have, not not that coffee buzz, but that buzz when you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Something really cool's happened to you. You know, when you get some news and you're super excited and it is that kind of adrenaline buzz. And that actually stays with me the majority of the day. Um, I do also find I sleep 
better if I've done cold water dips regularly. Um, you know, if I skip one day, it's not really too much of an impact. But if I haven't been for a good sort of four or five days, I really do notice my stress levels increasing and my sleep quality um, declining. So that there clearly is a correlation there as well. Um, I also just find that because you naturally have to control your breath when you go in, you don't even have to be an expert on it. You don't have to really even think about it. You have to get a grip of your breath because it changes when the cold water hits. That gives you a little bit more of awareness of how you're breathing, which is a skill that you can then translate when you're not in cold water, but you do feel that your breath has sped up and you're struggling. So I, I, I guess that's another huge benefit. And if I add a little fourth one in that I notice because I do work out a lot, I obviously suffer from DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness. And I'm sure we've all heard of athletes having ice baths or hot and then cold water therapy. And it's fantastic for circulation and really helping when it comes to aches and pains in your muscle and injury rehab as well. So for me, I've actually just genuinely felt, for want of a better phrase, like looser and just a little bit more mobile. Yeah, you're quite stiff when you're in there because it's limb freezing but yeah and and you actually do have to be quite mindful of that because you can hunch up and then suddenly every, all your muscles kind of cramp together so you do have to try and relax um, I mean the guys dive straight in I take a little bit more time to kind of like ease into it and still I think it's the long hair and like I don't want really cold wet hair down my back straight away um <laughs> But yeah, but for me, it's made, made a massive difference in my performance in the gym as well and my recovery. So if you are someone that is pretty into sport and hasn't really considered it, I do know people that have got ice barrels that they have at their house and they use that as a kind of like a, a quick therapy session after a big game or a big workout. So there's huge benefits there as well. The benefits are huge. I could go on about them all podcast, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's powerful stuff. I, I, did, I did a three hour session with a Wim Hof instructor and I've got an old tin bath in my garden we got 40 kilograms of ice it filled it with cold water chucked the ice in and i had to do a two minute you know immersion and yeah. um it, it was amazing and it was literally the best night's sleep i've had the, the breathing we did about an hour and a half of wim hof breathing and then we did the two minute ice bath and i was like so chilled for the rest of the day but also kind of like tingly energy and um yeah just you know that that night i slept like an absolute baby but i think that it's really interesting for people you know obviously there's kind of a real pain pleasure thing going on here because, you know, that's, it's not fun initially. And you say even like a year on, you know, you don't necessarily want to go and get into freezing cold water and drive and wake up early and, you know, all of those things, but you do it. And I think one thing that's really interesting is like habits because it's obviously become a habit for you. And I, I've been doing a lot of thinking and a lot of kind of research into patterns. And there's this, there's this concept I love called reality hacking, which is not, not kind of two matrix magic stuff, but you basically can control reality. You know, like Einstein said that reality is merely an illusion, albeit a very persistent one. And the point is, is that you can control your reality and you can kind of create a different reality if you don't like the one you've got. But it's not magic stuff and it's not, you know, it doesn't mean you can do anything you want. But the, the way you do it is with decisions, different choices, decisions, your daily actions, which become habits and, and patterns. And the thing I notice is that lean people, you know, who have a lower body fat percentage or uh, are fit, or successful people, you know, whether it's financial success or just really good in their field, you know, people who are high performers, let's say, they do things differently. And they tend to kind of naturally have these different patterns of behavior and they have different habits. And I mean, are you conscious of like having created a habit out of not just going into the cold water, but the things in your life that you want to succeed in? Do you consciously kind of try and forge new habits, you know, and, and create the actions and habituate them? 
or is it something that you find comes quite easily and you just you, you're just interested in stuff and you you just go and do it and it and it sort of kind of sinks in eventually um, I think it's a little bit of both. I'm very aware of habits and how they can, you know, how you can get a, a bad habit can be formulated very, very quickly and stick around a long time and how you can get stuck in um, particular habits, whether they're good or bad. And it's actually a reason why I do recap on Atomic Habits by James Clear very regularly because it does just give you that like kind of thought process of, okay, what habits have I created here? What habits do I like? What habits do I want to change? And the thing is, a lot of people just think that it's a case of setting a goal and and then going achieving that goal but actually it's it's the way that you it's how you associate that habit of if i do this what what's my reward going to be instead of like okay i know that by doing this this is the right thing for me but like what's it going to achieve you've got to really think more outside the box and i know that someone could listen to this podcast and go i'm going to jump in and see and they could probably reap all the benefits from it but if there isn't any kind of stack in there as to why they're doing that that's not going to maintain that they're going to get diverted back into lifestyle pretty quickly because they're not not really seeing and understanding why they're doing it. So I think you have to really know your why. I do review my habits a lot more than I ever used to. And I think that's because I'm very conscious of not wanting to go back to that anxious state that I was in from, from doing bad habits that didn't seem bad at the time, but they all obviously accumulated. I am a, a quite an outgoing person. So I do, I will try anything once, but I also appreciate that um, hard work outweighs talent all the time. So if I want to be good at something, or if I want to make something a regular habit, so to speak, I do have to stick at it. And you do have to turn up on days when motivation isn't there. And, you know, I look at this from my fitness journey. I actually, loads of people think I'm obsessed with fitness. I actually could skip a workout probably more days than, than I do them, but it's, I enjoy feeling comfortable in clothes. I enjoy looking younger than I am. I enjoy being able to pretty much do most activities bar the odd few injuries that I've got. I know that I'm healthy. So I enjoy the fact that I probably won't have too many health problems within my control. Um, and actually, I know that when I eat better and I'm training, my clarity of thought is better and therefore my business mind is better and I'm just a nicer person to be around in general. So there's a lot more to working out. Now, yes, okay, when I work out, I do get that buzz and I'm glad I've gone but that's not the pulling factor for me to get that's not enough for me to go and it's the same with the seed dipping you know I yeah I love it when I'm there but that's not enough to get me there it's actually I don't want to be in that anxious state in six or seven days time when I've not been for six or seven days that's what keeps me going is I don't want to go back there so there has to be a real good thought process, I guess, as to why you're looking to do a habit. And the problem is nowadays, you know, we look on social media and we see what other people are doing. It looks cool and we go and do it without understanding the why. And there's actually more, I say down days, you know, and there isn't ever a down day jumping in the sea, but there's more dragging my ass out of bed in the mornings than there are me bouncing out of bed and buzzing to go. I mean, if it was snowing, I would be buzzing to go. Like if it you was, would. yeah, absolutely. Like it doesn't snow down south. Yeah. So what to see when it's snowing? Like I know loads of people go, "You're mad!" I'm like yeah, but that's one experience, you know. And I'm getting to do this pretty much for free by the petrol. I don't have to jump over on a plane to go and experience. There was a picture on my Instagram not that long ago that it literally looked like Northern Lights, and there was no one on the beach. It was about four forty-five in the morning, one of the really early sunrises, and I'd taken my tripod down, and there was no one else there. Like where you can't pay for that these days. Magic moments. I think this is like such a cool thing is, is that we have these like switches and levers and buttons that we can press to change our state, mm -hmm. you know, to, to, to get different results. So if we want to change something in like, whether it be losing weight, starting a business, making more money, all of these things, a lot of it's in our control. And a lot of the kind of 
the way you can become a, a you can perform at a higher level, let's say, is with this cool, often free stuff like breathing, <laughs> like mm-hmm. better nutrition, like moving your body, like going and going to the beach, going into the woods, getting into cold water. You know, this this stuff is generally accessible. Usually, you don't have to pay for it. Maybe you do some coaching and training to learn, you know, what you should do, what you rather than what you shouldn't do. But the thing is, is it's I love the way you describe the fact that it's it's part of a stack and it's part of a why because you know you're doing those things not just because you're some nutter. It's because you want the results. It's because you know you know that it affects your life in a really really positive way. And so the fitter you are, the better your nutrition is, the better you feel about the way your body looks, the more energy you have, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Makes you show up better when you're working with a client or when you're running a clubhouse room or when you're in a business meeting or pitching a big deal. And this is the thing I think people don't appreciate is that, you know, they, a lot of it's in their control is the first bit. And the second thing is, is that they can't always connect the dots between why am I having a workout? But it's not just aesthetics and weight loss. It's about making you a better version of yourself so you can go and, you know, fulfill your dreams, let's say in a, in a lofty way. No, I completely agree. And I think there's this preconception as well that people are like, oh, it's all right for them. They're always motivated. Actually, I think most of the time, most people openly put their hands and go, it's not motivated. It is. It's just, it's just part of what I do. That is who I am. And there's a difference between wanting to be someone or wanting to do something than actually being that person that does do that thing. It's also the difference, I think, between highly successful people and people that give up at half the time is because highly successful people, they do get into those lulls where they're like, this isn't working. They have bad days. They don't get out, but maybe they do skip their typical habit one day or two days, but they don't hang around there long. They get out of it quicker. And I think that's really where people need to, you need to accept that every single person has a day when they skip on something that they particularly enjoy doing, be it a workout, be it eating healthy. You know, we always say this in the fitness industry, but one bad meal doesn't make you fat, just like one salad doesn't make you thin, right? But of course the problem is habits form very quickly. So if you allow a bad day to roll to a second bad day, you've got to pull it back by the third. I mean, most people say you've got to pull it back by the second, but if I'm being honest, normally for me, by the third, if I've I've missed three of something in a row, we're on dangerous territory there. And it's being able to recognise that and being honest with yourself. And half the time, let's just take going to the gym, for example. If you skip Monday and you skip Tuesday, just get there for 10 minutes on Wednesday. It's that getting there will then make you feel better about the fact that you have been and that you haven't been on a Monday and Tuesday and then Thursday will be a little bit easier to potentially get there for a little bit longer. So I think we, we we feel that we have to be all or nothing and we really don't. So when people get up and they have a crap breakfast and then suddenly they feel they've got a week crap the rest of the day, actually don't. You know, it's just okay, you slipped up. We, we all do it. But the very difference is, is that the people that are highly motivated or doing very well with themselves will actually be the people that just pick themselves back up and they don't let those blips sort of hammer them down for too long. So yeah, for me, um, that is a significant difference between people that are successful with their habits and, and continue on. It's not because they're, they do anything any different. They just have the ability to pick themselves back up quicker. Yeah. I, I've got a little principle. I call it you know, do you know what Kaizen is? You know, you've heard of Kaizen, like everyone knows about Kaizen. It's, you know, constant, steady, daily improvement. And, but I've got, I've got this, a second bit I added to it, which is Kaizen. Yeah, definitely. And the clean slate theory, which is like, yeah, wake up, do your best, be better every day, you know, constantly grow, blah, blah, blah. But if you fuck up and if you fall off the wagon, then um, wipe the slate clean. Don't beat yourself up about it and then just get started again. And it's winning that little battle, men- you know, particularly that mental battle especially with health and fitness, you know, yeah, going to the gym, walk through the door, do 10 minutes. It's just enough to win that little battle with yourself because that's who you're playing really in the game of life. Uh, And then, you know, it kind of, um, 
it will lead to other results. Uh, you mentioned a book, I think, Atomic Habits by James Clear. Is that, is that a book or? Yeah, it's a book. I listen to everything on audio just because I can do it at one and a half times speed, which is another habit of mine. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, look, time's precious, hey? And yeah. there's, there's certain things that I'm not a great reader. I've, I've spoken, everyone's got different learning styles and I just could read a page 10 times over and not tell you a word that it said. I don't know if it's an ADHD. I don't think I've got ADHD, but maybe I have, but like just an attention span kind of thing. But for me, I always try and double up on as many tasks as possible. So if I can listen to an audio book whilst driving, then that, it's kind of made that drive more worthwhile and the same as if I'm in the gym and I can either listen to an audiobook or listen to something that's going to improve my workout then I'd rather do that than just listen to music and then struggle to fit something else in so that's another kind of I guess hack of something yeah. that I do so yeah Atomic Habits I've, I've read it a few times or audiobooked it a few times but I've just recapped it recently just because I could feel myself slipping into a few sort of negative habits and I could just tell so I just find going back through that book it gets 335 minutes. So, you know, if you listen on that times and a half, it's, it's not a very long book. Mm. And um, they're very actionable steps, but it does make you think about what it is that you've been doing on a day-to-day basis that's had this correlation effect for you to suddenly have these much bigger dramatic changes in your life that maybe you aren't happy about it just gives Mm. you another way of looking and it's a good time of year to read this i think because a lot of people set goals don't they in january for what they want for the year to 2022 we all talk about the fitness space don't we people set themselves huge goals and normally by march they're completely off the wagon and non-existent so if that sounds like you and i'm pretty sure most people can relate i'd go go and listen to this book and then try and set yourself things that are actually going to be things that you can carry on for the rest of the year instead of these massive overhauls that realistically we all know (laughs) instead of setting yourself up for failure yeah i I haven't read that or listened to that so i'm gonna stick it on my uh, my christmas list and uh, and i will i will dive into it so like just to summarize this little bit here i wondered you know what advice would you give to somebody like so let's say someone who's in their kind of like mid 40s they are struggling with losing weight you know, they've, they've kind of, you know, yo-yoed a bit. They may be a stone, one and a half stone overweight. They're not too happy with how their body looks. They have maybe have a little bit of an emotional relationship with food and eating. You know, so what sort of steps could they take to change their habits? What, what would you give them, like kind of quick sort of simple advice to, to kind of like change the patterns, change the habits and try and, you know, form a new pattern around losing weight and eating more healthily or working out or whatever it may be? What's a good starting point? I start with the food, for example, first of all, I would write down, like, make sure that you've written down what you're eating because what gets measured gets managed. And I mean that very much on a, if you can visually see what you're eating, then at least you know what you're dealing with. Um, Otherwise, it's very easy to forget what you've eaten or or you kind of lie to yourself. We're we're all very good at lying to ourselves one way or another. So get it written down and then it just becomes something visual and look at it as if it's a piece of work and and not no emotional connection to it. And actually, rather than completely overhaul your diet, I would look to make some healthy swaps or some lower calorie swaps within the food that you're eating. So for example, if you're making cottage pie or shepherd's pie, maybe look to reduce the uh, fat content of of the mints. Just look at what ingredients that you can swap out for meals that you're already making so that it's not too much of a change you know if I turned around and said to someone oh you're you're a carnival great I'm going to make you vegan tomorrow like that's just not enjoyable for anyone so what you really want is look at something the changes that you can make that are sustainable instead of a temporary overhaul just to get the weight off so that would be my first point of call write it down and look at where you can make some swaps that are going to over the course of a week save you a good amount of calories 3,500 calorie deficit is going to equal a pound of 
fat loss in a week doesn't sound like much, but over a year, that's huge. So you only really need to start looking at maybe reducing, say, full fat milk to skinny milk, or maybe if you have two sugars in your coffee, reduce it down to one sugar in your coffee. But these are very small, subtle changes that are going to be much easier for you to continue with than if you suddenly change your diet entirely. Um, When it comes to moving, very similar, really. Start actually recognising when you move. If you've got a, a watch, a tracker, a Fitbit, I would take notice of how many steps that you're doing. I don't think steps that they're overrated when people are obsessed by how many steps they do, but it's a good place to start. So if you're managing 5,000 steps a day, let's up it to try and get to 5,500. Then the next day, five, uh, 6,000. And if you're trying to increase it by 500 each day, by the end of the week, again, you've got around a 2,000, 2,500 kind of increase and that's actually almost almost double what you were doing oh sorry an extra 50% of what you were doing in the first day so then that over time again accumulates but you haven't suddenly gone right okay I'm hitting 4,000 I'm going to do 10,000 tomorrow because it's just a really unsustainable jump and then look at movements that you enjoy I think people get obsessed with I've got to go for a run (laughs) if you don't enjoy running don't run. I've never run. I hate it. I, it would just be unbearable for me. So find ways that you like to move and enjoy um, and do more of that. So if that might be dancing, it might be netball and also maybe be true to yourself. Do you work out better on your own or are you better having an accountability partner? Do you need to be part of a team? You know, some people do netball. I know loads of female adults that do netball because they meet as a team. They have a good laugh. They go regardless of the weather and it's seven o'clock every Thursday and they know they've got to turn up because they're letting a team down. It's not just about them. Other people, a bit more like myself, I like to to just do my own thing. I like headphones on zoned out. So team sports aren't my thing. So you have to have a real honest conversation with yourself of why do I keep slipping up and what can I do without completely overhauling my life, which is going to help improve that on a gradual basis because these small if you're one percent better every single day that's a huge amount over the over the space of a year so just have a little look at baby steps and um yeah that would be probably my my advice in terms of diet and nutrition just to start off tomorrow if you're looking at trying to just change a few things and that's so nice and sort of accessible for anybody who's listening. And because the, the cool thing about this is that it's radical change, but by taking baby steps. So if you add the baby steps up, eventually you get radical change. Like what I mean is you could have changed your whole pattern around eating. You could have changed your whole kind of weight. You know, you could have changed many large things in your life, but you've got there gradually, steadily in a way that you're not setting yourself up for, for failure. And also like your little metrics, you mentioned like 3,500 calories equals a pound of fat. So you need to burn off that. You have, need to have that deficit. So that that's roughly 500 calories a day, like a 500 calorie deficit a day, which is, you know, maybe aggressive, but it's very achievable for most people if you track. And the Fitbit tracking steps is great. It's really good for a lot of people. Although <laughs> there's a lovely story I heard from some, some American lady who was, who basically had a Fitbit and, um, she was meant to go for a walk one day, but she'd forgotten her Fitbit. So she didn't go for the walk because she couldn't track it. So I think uh, technology can be great, but it can, can also uh, derail us sometimes. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I do joke. <laughs> I actually went to the gym the other day. My Apple Watch isn't charged as I was away at the weekend, hadn't plugged it in. And um, I did joke, I was on the way there and I looked and did it on my watch. I thought, like, well, this is pointless. But it, I mean, obviously I just still went, but it, it's amazing actually how you get a little bit obsessed and, and, and a little bit of an obsession, I don't think is a bad thing. But if you're so fixated on the numbers and let's not, let's be honest with ourselves, right? This is a, a watch 
that's on your wrist. It's not connected up with loads of different wires. It's just set up with some very basic information. So it's not accurate, but it's like a consistent inaccuracy is how I always kind of say it. So look, if it motivates, because you can do challenges. I've I've got the Apple Watch, but I know Garmin and that sort of thing. You can track your routes. You can like team up with mates. You can have little challenges. Some people I know are obsessed with the rings, closing the rings on a day-to-day basis. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you mean not the aura ring, but yeah, yeah, the Apple Watch rings. Yeah, yeah. But like, you know, some people are absolutely obsessed by that. And I mean, I've watched people just standing up in the middle of a restaurant because they haven't closed their stand rings and stuff for the Having day. Having a really good dinner. Yeah. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> you joke. But actually, you know, all of that tiny little energy that you're spending accumulated over the over the time. And one of my client's um, husbands used to pace whilst making phone calls. I mean, we mm. joked that he was wearing the carpet out. He'd do more steps in a day than I would do if I'd gone on a mammoth hike because his phone calls were that long and he's doing that much business and he would just pace. He didn't have any weight on him and yet yeah. he hadn't gone to the gym for ages. So that, that standing up, that burns a huge amount of calories. So if you're working from home and you can remember to stand up, even if it's on your phone calls or on Clubhouse, for example, then yeah, of course you're going to burn a little bit more calories. That 500 calorie deficit doesn't just have to come from food. You could increase your energy at, um, output. So therefore your input doesn't have to change too much. You know, Some people prefer moving a bit less and not eating as much. Whereas I'm the other way, I'd rather move double the amount so I can eat all the food. So you can eat more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's called neat. That's one of the kind of like fat loss secret weapons, non-exercise activity thermogenesis is the like pacing, fidgeting, moving mm-hmm. around, all of that cool stuff. Yeah. I mean, the, the devices gamify things, which can be very, very helpful for certain, mm-hmm. certain people. So you've got a corporate background. I think I'm right in saying that basically you have a background. I think, is it investment banking that you were in? Yeah. So I was, um, don't shout at me, but I was in the credit derivatives market when uh, we had that lovely recession, all to do with CDS swaps. And so the big short, basically that film is about you. Big short. I could sit there <laughs> and I have many times describing exactly what is going on and what the IRS is. And trust me, I take the mick, but yeah, it was a it was an interesting time. And now looking back on it, I was like, I can't believe I was involved in all of that. I, was, I watched Lehman Brothers shut down literally right outside my window. I watched all of Lehman Brothers try and get in to the doors, and the doors were shut. I was, wow. we were um, a very small prime brokerage fund as part of a very big, very well known Swiss bank, and um, we had a lot. Of, there was a lot of people panicking. It was a, it was a it was a horrible time actually, but it was a it was a really interesting product. But I just knew I had to get out. That's like, just not my lifestyle at all. Very, very fast paced, very, very boring. Nobody wants to talk about it in the pub unless they're really geeky. Maybe if you're talking about crypto, people might be a bit more interested because people have dived into that now. But So that's basically no. everyone now. Everyone wants to know about crypto and, you know, kind of the next uh, the DeFi, yeah. you know, kind of uh, world. But um, I, we won't go into that because uh, <laughs> it's a rabbit hole, like a loop I don't want to open. How do you get from that corporate world, that kind of investment banking world, obviously maybe you didn't love it. You weren't kind of fully aligned with that as your mission, but how'd you get from there to health and fitness? So to essentially personal training. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, so I very much, I was very young. I was only 21 when I decided to leave corporate background. So I actually didn't really have much in terms of responsibility. So it really was one of those, I don't want to do this anymore. And I quit. There wasn't actually any thought process. Um, probably not in hindsight, probably not the best decision, but it was one that I could afford to make. And I actually then 
started, I was living in a house share at a time and they were doing website design for a boot camp company. So a military fitness company where I had lots of like middle-aged women that were going either through like menopause or really bad divorces or just kind of lost their identity through giving up their job and having children. So I was going on these residential boot camps and I was like the boot camp mum. I was trying to manage these rowdy personal trainers all from military backgrounds, a lot of them still serving and these very delicate, very delicate emotionally and physically unfit women and just trying to be that happy kind of medium in between so that gave me an insight to a being outdoors it gave me oh my god did it throw me in the deep end when it comes to exercise I mean it was the most grueling experience of my life on very low calories it's literally how not now looking back at everything that I know it's how not to lose weight but they were good fun and you know it, it did starve it yourself a, and beast yourself yeah 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 <laughs> I mean I am not into being shouted at and how many burpees to do in military style fitness but some people love it so you know each to their own if it gets people moving I'm all for it so I was doing that and then um, I actually started randomly. A, a, I was obsessed with dogs. I always have been. And I started a dog walking business. And of course, that got me moving and got me outdoors. Became one of the biggest in the South. And I did end up selling that on just, uh, I just decided I didn't want to do it anymore about six years in, which, you know, I think is part of being an entrepreneur, isn't it? Is that you do kind of see your day with your business. I, I, I can't see myself ever doing one thing for the rest of my life. I've never been able to tell you what I want to do with my life even at school. Um, and I still probably couldn't tell you now, but I always go with my gut on things. And if my gut's waking me up long enough, telling me that you need to move on, then I normally look for an avenue to kind of change. And whilst I was doing the dog walking side of things, I was bodybuilding. That's just a random thing. I woke up one day again, had split from a boyfriend, did that whole, I need to reinvent myself and, and look good being single. So started, yeah, well, <laughs> randomly, I picked up a kettlebell. This goes to show you what kind of natured person I am. I picked up a kettlebell, looked at a woman in the gym doing something, um, mentioned something to her, just said, oh, like, what have you been doing? And she said, oh, I'm actually entering a competition. And and I just said, oh, I'm going to do that. And that's that's literally how it started. I've never done a squat before in all my life. So I was learning on the job. Qualified as a personal trainer on the side anyway, because a lot of people were asking me how I did that and what did I do? And I thought, well, I'll, I'll get the qualification. I don't necessarily need to do anything with it. And I got fully booked very quickly. Did you compete? D did you compete in a figure competition? You did? Nine times, yeah. Um, how many? In, Nine? Yeah, in um, bikini fitness, which is, it's more... It's more of a body sculpting as opposed to, um, you know, that whole kind of, I could call it She-Hulk, but, you know, when it, a woman is very muscular, I would like to say it's more, if you see the front cover of Health and Fitness magazine, like a, a woman in a, in a bikini, you know, nice toned glutes, toned tummy, toned shoulders, that's pretty much the look that it's going for. I mean, I'm nearly six foot tall, so I'm not the best frame for someone that's trying to do and add muscle onto their legs and glutes. But I've always been very happy with the results. And I always said to myself, I would give up competing when I just had had enough of competing. I didn't ever put myself and I know many girls that do put themselves through grueling processes to get on stage and get stage lean being lean although I have been overweight in my life getting lean isn't difficult when I put my mind to it because of my genetic setup putting on muscle however isn't the easiest for me so I do have to work quite hard at that you have to eat a lot of food it's yeah. like it is it's like a full-time job eating no, it, it is, which everyone must go, oh, that sounds amazing. But actually, it's not the most interesting food either. There are smarter ways to do it. And I definitely think in the last couple of competitions that I did, I was doing it smarter. I wasn't so restrictive. I still had alcohol, still had a pick and mix in my life. So I still had pick and mix and I didn't have too much cardio. But I mean, we're talking 
a lot of chicken, a lot of fish, a lot of rice, a lot of potatoes. And the peak week, which is the week leading into competition, I have so much asparagus in that week because it's a diuretic, so it dries you out. Um, and we all know what happens when you eat asparagus. I just couldn't look at asparagus for like six months after <laughs> a peak week at all. Wow. And it's, it's just a really, some people love it. I actually think it's it's quite a miserable experience now. When I sit back and look at it, I'm actually surprised how long I put myself through it for. It's a very lonely journey. It's an extreme for a physique that isn't maintainable unless you continue that extremity. But with that extremity comes sacrifices. You know, you can't eat the food at a wedding. You can't have drinks with your mates at a party. Going back to where we were talking earlier on about people wanting to change their habits, you have to look at something that's going to keep you happy in the long run and not such a big overhaul that, yes, you might achieve your result, but you lose out on all the other areas of your life because losing weight's great. But if it's a sacrifice that you might lose your husband because you don't want to socialise with them anymore or you've got no energy to run around with your kids, what's the point? I'm going to book you now, if if I can, <laughs> for part two, because I'd like to do a second part, literally just on this, um, yes. because you know I think it would be fascinating for people to understand what it takes to be a figure competitor and how to how you have to manipulate body composition and what that actually entails to look like some of the people on magazine covers and then why it might not be great a great choice. But you know, obviously that's a, a separate thing because I want to move on to um, you know some some more kind of uh, recent bits and pieces that you've been doing. But I love the fact that you know you've had that journey and you've you've really experienced you know like. Not many people in the health and fitness industry who coach and train other people have actually competed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so a lot of people are in great shape, but, you know, that's, that's, uh, that's another level when you're in kind of, you know, like bikini competitions and, you know, figure, figure competition. So uh, if you're happy to, let's dive into that another time so we can go deep because I'd love to just unpack it for people because there was a really cool episode of, I can't remember, it was like Graham Norton show or something like that. And Hugh Jackman talked about what he had to do to get in super ripped shape to be Wolverine. And it's horrible. You know, it's like really not nice and unpleasant, but people look at that and they're like, I want that body. I want to be like that most of the time. And it's, you know, it's not realistic, but we'll come on to that another time. So Lindsay, what advice would you give to someone? So you've got this corporate background. You had that time in investment banking. You left that, you set up your own business, which I didn't realize, which was a dog walking business, which is cool. And you ran it for six years and you sold it, became the South's biggest dog walking business, I think you said. And then you kind of got into competing, got into health and fitness. You qualified while you were training for yourself. And then you, you know, eventually were running a kind of business coaching other people. What advice would you give to someone who is like trapped in a corporate job at the moment, you know, in kind of like the rat race, if you like, they want to leave, they maybe got a business idea, or maybe they've got some kind of side hustle, they want to make the leap, or they want to grow that business. What sort of advice would you give someone thinking about making that change so that they can have a more of a lifestyle business and have more time, but also, you know, make money because you've got to, got to pay the bills and replace that corporate income? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I wouldn't advise doing what I did, which was literally just jump ship and muddle on through. Um, Like I say, I was in a position where I didn't have like a mortgage, didn't have children. So I think you do have to think very mindfully of how many months do you need to have in the bank and what are you prepared to kind of risk? And for some people, you know, they don't want the stress of, starting something up and not having any money coming through the door. And and I think it's very sensible to actually look at starting something up, which you can do very easily now in the background whilst you are working corporate. And of course, nowadays, there is the opportunity to sort of reduce your hours within the corporate space. And so that if you're in a role, say, where you're working 37 hours a week and you've got the option to maybe condense that down to four days and then potentially three, that could be... I don't think there's ever a safe way, but a slightly safer and reassuring way to actually start your own business if you feel that you'd be more comfortable doing that. Now, 
I personally perform much better when my back's against the wall, but a lot of people don't. If you're one of those people that caves under pressure, you need to really recognise what your behaviours are like. And I think being self-employed and entrepreneur now for 11 years, I probably know myself very, very well. I know where I really perform well and I know what pressures really get me down and I you know I think you have to be very honest with yourself and I do think you have to be very honest with yourself with the amount of time that you're prepared to work and I know when you're in what we call the rat race and that corporate lifestyle you're looking at other people that are potentially more flexible with their time possibly going out for lunch doing things on a Wednesday when you're stuck in the office but what you might not see is the Friday nights the Saturdays the the Sundays the 4am starts the midnight finishes that go behind the scenes as well. So I think you really do need to go into it with your eyes wide open that I can't think of any business that either I've started or that anyone that I know has started that hasn't been grueling in the beginning. And yes, okay, I think the rewards absolutely reap them. You absolutely reap the rewards, sorry, when you come out the other side, but not all businesses come out the other side. So I just think you have to be really, really, really mindful of that. Some people aren't born to be self-employed. And I think as well, the thought of being self-employed versus the assurance of getting paid every single month, having some kind of promotional structure, knowing roughly what times you're going to work. There's some pretty good perks to just give up for the sake of starting your own job. So take some time to really think it through and do your research, find out who your competitors are, what they're doing, how you're going to stand out in a crowd. I mean, online now is pretty much the only way to go. Even if you're an in-person business, I still think having an online presence is the most sensible thing that you can do. And it's not that the market's saturated because I think that's an overused word. It's just harder to stand out. So I think you have to be very, very sure of who your customer is and what your company values and goals are and really have some strategic plans in place as to how you're going to get from A to B. Because nowadays, winging it is a lot harder than it ever used to be. There's a lot of free resources available. There's a lot of free platforms available to be able to kind of advertise and monetize from. But um, would I want to be setting up some of the businesses that I I have done in the past now? Probably not. Have I found the last two that I've set up pretty grueling at times? Yeah, actually harder than anything else I've done in the past. And I think that's because a lot of people that weren't in the online space have been propelled into the online space willingly or not willingly because of the pandemic. And so I kind of sometimes wake up thinking, God, this feels like it's never ending. And I know it's not the case because I've got that experience in the past. But if you haven't got that and you haven't got that support network, so maybe from your wife or or your husband or perhaps you're um you know you're in a social circle where no one else is self-employed, you're gonna have some dark times. And I think you need to really be prepared for that. And that's not to add a load of gloom on it. I love being self-employed, wouldn't look back. But when I look at what my friends, when I try and talk to my friends about what I do, and this is probably why I love Clubhouse so much because there's far more like-minded people on there. Most of my friends are employed and so they just don't get it. <laughs> yeah. I think it's really interesting. You know, I, I've been an entrepreneur for basically my whole life. You know, I started my first company when I was 22, 23, a clothing company, you know, snowboarding clothing brand. And oh, I loved it. And I've had one job and I had to sign a three-month contract. And this was before I started my clothing company. And like, the, you know, they gave me this piece of paper and I was, it was a contract for like three months. And it was the scariest thing I've ever done having to sign that, commit to that, like, oh my God, you know, three months, that's ridiculous. And I'm, I'm kind of trapped. And so for me, I couldn't think of anything else. And there have been massive ups and downs as there are. But I really like the fact that, you know, you, you're having a realistic look at it because I think a lot of people think they can go from A to B. They look at people on 
Clubhouse, they look at people, which we'll talk about in a minute. They look at people on Instagram. They look at people out there who have businesses and who seem to have made it overnight and had this leap to sort of overnight success and have big audiences. And I think people have very unrealistic expectations and they don't realize that you need to go into a business journey, starting your own business with your eyes open and understanding all of those things you said, you know, the late nights, the early starts, the fact that, you know, other people might not get it and understand what you're doing. And also the fact that, you know, the, the marketplaces are crowded, certainly fitness, for example, you know, because it, the pandemic and the lockdowns forced a lot of trainers online, then, you know, that's suddenly become quite a crowded kind of space. So you do have to stand out. But it's, uh, you know, it, then again, you know, that being said, if it's the right move for you, then it's one of the most rewarding things you can do, as long as you know what you're kind of um, letting yourself in in for. But you you currently run four businesses, like four online businesses. Are they all exclusively online? Yeah, they're all exclusively online. One of them wasn't. So obviously one of them was originally my in-person, had a slight online a presence, personal training. That's now purely all online with some digital products that you can buy straight off the shelf and then others where you're working with me a bit more one-to-one. The Fitness in 15 platform is launching in a couple of weeks time. So that's predominantly for individuals that are super busy, that struggle a bit like what we were talking about earlier on to actually get into a routine and and conduct a habit. So it's really helping you just by installing 15 minute workouts. Think of Netflix, but for fitness, you can pick and choose any kind of niche that you want. And so you can do a a workout for like HIIT, you can do bar strength, lots of different style trainers. There's talks on sleep and nutrition on there as well and you're basically able to pick what workout you want to do wherever you are and perform that at a very very low cost but we're actually really targeting that at corporate companies so at well uh, wellness initiatives again to try and get these workforces that i think are now overworked like i think mm. a lot of us thought with the pandemic Oh, we've gained time and working from home, but actually with the lack of commute seems to be people logging on earlier and logging off later. There isn't that separation between home life and work life. And actually, as a result, a lot of people aren't as active as they used to be. And there's a massive disconnect within corporate organisations. So we're trying to help build a little bit more of a team atmosphere again, as I know a lot of companies are still reluctant to really bring the full workforce back. And some companies aren't doing that at all now. You know, they are just going to be working from home because it cut cuts costs in other areas for yeah, them sure so that's that's the the kind of latest platform and then i have one that i can't talk about right this second because it is very much in launch stages but it's there's just a few i's to dot and a few t's to cross but that's still in the fitness space but working very much with the personal trainers so oh exciting hopefully next next podcast i can talk about it okay and the other one's clubhouse like a pro which is obviously completely separate from the fitness industry but that was that was an opportunity that i really did just jump on without any strategy behind it but the, the opportunity arose and i very much just thought i've got to run with this whilst whilst the um opportunity is there so we talked this is how i I know myself and and you met ollie which was on clubhouse which is one of the latest audio social media apps to come out alongside wisdom and i think a lot of people would have heard of facebook audio uh, twitter spaces green rooms and spotify but actually it was clubhouse that kind of propelled this movement into the audio space from other social media platforms it came out in april 2020 American invite-only iOS um, exclusive FOMO right in the middle of pandemic app where conversations are being had that couldn't be recorded. So unlike this podcast where you can 
scream it from the rooftops and people can play it again and again and again. You couldn't do that on um, Clubhouse. And that is why it became incredibly um, exciting for people to want to be on. And I managed to get an invite back in February this year. And I didn't really know what I was going to do on it, to be honest, being a fitness professional in a space that nobody can see me. Um, And that's how Fitness in 15 came about, because I was hearing a lot of people talking about wanting to be in that top 1% of achievers, but wanting to stay fit and body fit in mind, but really struggling to stay on top of their health and wellness whilst running a business. So I could see that people were motivated, but time poor, which is why 15 minute workouts came from. And then I was just speaking in rooms and a lot of people were coming up to me saying, you know, I really enjoy your moderating style. I like how you manage a stage and was starting to ask me to run rooms for them. And of course, that's like someone trying to ask you to run an event for them. So I've just started charging for that. And then I became familiar with the app. And then before I know it, I'm one of Clubhouse's top creators. I've got a course on Clubhouse. I help other people strategize Clubhouse for their business. And it's kind of snowballed a lot quicker than I realized. And so that business, that's that's a good, that's a fun business, that one, because I find it's something that I'm interested in. I'm doing it anyway. And so I'm just using all the skills that I've already got to kind of create an additional in um, revenue stream for me. That business itself hasn't been one where I thought I'm going to start this. We're going to sell this in two years. We're going to build this to to keep. It's just been something that I've kind of built upon as I've gone. But that's using the experience that I've had with the other businesses, I think. so. It seems that it's something that people have started asking for and therefore you've provided. You've kind of like answered a customer kind of need almost, which is yeah. a great a great business model, to be fair. Yeah. And, and do you know what? I think, I, I think it's going to be something that people need more and more as Clubhouse becomes more of a well-known app. You know, a lot of people are oversubscribed to social media and they don't see the benefits in being on certain platforms and you can't be omnipresent on everything however the new features that keep releasing in Clubhouse and the more it sticks around people are going to start dipping their toe in the water and the fact that you've got the replay feature now which means you could copy your podcast uh, your Clubhouse room onto your podcast it's much easier to secure guests as I'm sure you've experienced on Clubhouse a lot of people are securing very big deals on Clubhouse and I think the more that word gets out more businesses are going to actually realise the the return on investment on that app and then they're going to look for people like myself to help them navigate around an app that they have got no clue how to use because like with anything if you jump on any social media platform when you get if you swap your android to an iphone we all know how stressful that is when you're already busy and you don't know how to work something yeah that's a really good point that's a really good analogy i swapped from iphone which i've been an iphone user forever to android and oh it was a nightmare but um i met someone the other day i mean i read a really interesting article in the sunday times like two weeks ago or someone shared it with me about Clubhouse, and it's now valued at $4 billion, a few other cool things. But um, the staggering thing was they're opening 750,000 new rooms a day, which is crazy. Now, I met someone a few days ago who didn't know what Clubhouse was. They hadn't heard of it. And I said, well, I'm doing a Clubhouse room, you know, and they were like, what's Clubhouse? So could you just tell people, because there'll be some people out there who don't know what it is or haven't used it, like basically what it is and how does it work in a nutshell? Sure. So, I mean, it's, it's an app, first of all, anybody, any user, any country pretty much now can use it. It's not invite only. So it is a case of just downloading it in your app store. And now it's an audio only platform. So you would start a profile like you would do. Imagine if you were going on a dating site, you put one picture up and then you put a, a bio about you or your business. And I thoroughly recommend that you, you look at it from a point of view of how you can help your ideal customer rather than a CV. A lot of people go a bit obsessed with I've achieved this and I've done this, but instead it should be I can help you achieve this. Or if you are looking for this, then I can help with that. So 
look at it more from a how you can help someone point of view. And then it's the, the way it was designed, the way Clubhouse came about was imagining that you were actually like at a university. So you've got your hallways and you've got lots of different conversations happening. And when you first jump onto the app, it will ask you what you're interested in. So do think about that quite wisely because you don't want to have a hallway of rooms that you really aren't interested in and have to go through deleting them all. But let's just say that you said you were interested in health and fitness and you were interested in business. What you'll do is you'll find quite a lot of business rooms coming up and also health and fitness rooms. And it really is as simple as tapping on the room and going in as an audience member, listening to the conversation. Now, the the way the rooms are set up is if you think about a performance at a show you've got your stage and then you've got your VIP section and then you've got your kind of regular uh, cattle class seats so to speak and that's exactly how it works in Clubhouse so anybody can enter the room but if you know someone on stage so if they're following you so if you're in a friend's room or perhaps you're in um, someone that you've done some work with before you'll be in the followed by speakers section which is like your VIP section and then really, because it is an audio only app, you want to be speaking on on those rooms. So you can use the app to listen and learn. And I've certainly sat in some rooms and they've been fantastic conversations. Might be an interview. I know that um, Reese Weatherspoon was on the app the other day. Adele's been on the app with Oprah. And you can sit in the audience and listen. It's almost like being at an exclusive event. However, if you're in business rooms and let's just say we're talking about email marketing and that's your forte, that's what you help clients with, or maybe you've got an incredible email marketing system, really you want to be showcasing your expertise there because there'll be 100, 200 people in the audience listening to your advice. And every single one of those members of that audience could be your next best customer or someone that's going to refer you on. And so that's how kind of clubhouse works. You don't have to make it for business. I know there's like dating rooms and there's gossip rooms and there's talking about the news and lots of lots of fun elements of it. I use it purely from a business perspective. I'm not really into it for a social side of things, but I certainly know some people that will use it to calm down at the end of a, a busy day. They'll jump in one of the rooms that might be talking about current affairs. Perhaps they want to talk about politics or news. Sometimes there's music rooms where you can listen to people playing the piano or singing. And I know in lockdown, that was really pivotal because these people weren't able to go out and play live. So yeah, there's lots of, it's a bit of a different kind of um, experience and feel than any other app because it's not like a podcast where you just, you have to search for a particular person and then you listen to the same person one episode after the next. It's more, you. it's a live conversation. Some of them are recorded now, some of them aren't. But you really get that kind of in the moment kind of experience with Clubhouse, which I don't really get with any other app. And of course, where it's global, and I know all apps are global, but where you do have different time zones crossing over, you get to connect with people in Australia or people in certain parts of America. And these relationships are forged very quickly from the authenticity of a voice, which you don't really get on any other social media platform. So for me, it's it's a winning platform. I've built more connections on that app in sort of eight or nine months than I have done on any of the other social media platforms. I've got telephone numbers for people I would never have thought about ever being connected with. I've been in two books. I've been on about eight or nine podcasts now. Um, and I've actually obviously monetized, not just Clubhouse like a pro, but I have had other work come through. So for me, it's it's been a, a great app that definitely propelled my business career forward and also just really helped me raise my personal brand as well. Which leads naturally into what I wanted to talk about, personal branding. But just before then, I mean, I think I hope people are taking notes of that last section because I think it's a really amazing resource clubhouse at the moment. And I'm a, I'm a clubhouse newbie, I'm ashamed to say, in the fact that I I dip in and I, you know, I'm not really kind of using it in the way that I could be using it. 
But if you're a coach and if you're, or if you're a consultant or a people helper, or if you're an entrepreneur mm-hmm. though, or you have a business or a side hustle or pretty much anything, you can go in there. And if you have expertise, you can get invited up to stages and you can speak to live people, have conversations, yeah. you can help and add value. People will come and follow you. They come and find out more about you and people are building amazing businesses off it. So yeah, I mean, that's absolutely fascinating. Um, so personal branding, are you okay for time, Lindsay? Because I'm conscious yeah, that- Yeah, um, fine. Okay, no cool. problem. So personal branding, like you, you mentioned it at the end there, you know, it's been a great way for you to build your personal brand over the last eight months. You strike me as a very driven person anyway. You know, you kind of like, you seem to know what you want. You you leap onto certain things like the bodybuilding thing. Oh, kettlebell. Okay. Figure competition. Okay, cool. I'll do that. Let's, let's go and give it a try. Let's go swimming in cold water. You know, you seem to go and chase these things down in a way. And then there's obviously something about your personality that kind of helps you stick at it. And uh, which is good. These are good traits to have for an entrepreneur anyway, certainly. But um, in terms of personal branding, I think it's confusing. It's a very confusing space for people out there because a lot of people use Instagram as like, oh, you know, I'm going to put some pictures up there and kind of share a bit of my life. And a lot of people try and use it for business, but they, they don't understand how, first of all, what a personal brand is, I don't think, and then how to build one. So, you know, I wonder what does a personal brand kind of like mean to you? You know, what do you think a personal brand is? And then second kind of question is, how would you build one? How, what advice would you give to someone now who's wanting to, let's say that person we talked about earlier. So they're in a corporate job or they're in a, you know, a nine to five kind of job, which is okay and it's secure, but it's, they don't really want to do. They want to start their own thing. They know now, as you've mentioned, that they need to have some kind of online presence and they need to go and reach their potential customers online. So, so yeah, what is a personal brand and then how can someone start to build one so they could make that leap? Sure. I, it's a really good question. And I think a lot of people confuse personal brand with personal life. And I definitely think there is a, there's a good um, distinguished line between the two. I do think that you can cross both over, but I do think that you can still remain very private and have a very strong personal brand. Um, I probably share maybe a little bit more of my life than other people would feel comfortable with, but equally it has helped really strengthen my personal brand. And I'll touch on that in just a second. But for me, People buy from people, not not from products, right? So if you are starting a business out tomorrow, sharing that journey of you. So even if it was a product, let's just say for, for argument's sake, you were going to make, I don't know, candles. Let's actually start out with, you know, where did the idea come from? Get your face behind the brand. Where was the idea? What were you doing? Were you sitting in an office and suddenly the the idea cropped up? Set the scene. So people really understand the journey of that brand and the journey of the people behind the brand. You know, a lot of people like to support small businesses. They like to support people that have everyone likes a story. And if there's a bit of hardship behind it, I'm not saying that you have to have hardship behind a successful brand at all, but you know, people like to watch people succeed and they like to hear good stories. So if you have been that person that potentially you were homeless and then you managed to come up with an idea and you grafted, you worked, you know, two jobs plus building your business, get that down on video, talk about that, set the scene because it helps motivate other people, but it also helps build a connection with your audience as well. In terms of the way that I've built my personal brand, and we very much talked about nearly all of it today, incidentally, I'm not just Lindsay who owns four businesses or Lindsay that owns businesses in the fitness space. You know, there is a lot more to me and actually my brand and how I show up in my business than just turning up and and hitting hitting the gym. And of course, that's incorporated by sharing the fact that I go outside and I chase sunrises and that I go see see dipping, um, that I do climb up mountains and that I am one of those people that has got a crazy cocker spaniel that does my head in most of the time, but he's very cute. And I know a lot of people rock up on it 
Instagram just to see his face half the time. And that is a talking point. And it really does help solidify relationships. And I find this a lot on Clubhouse. If I'm talking to people on Clubhouse and they jump over to my Instagram and then we make it to a Zoom, half the time we spend the first half an hour talking about all of the other things that I shared on Instagram that they enjoy doing as well. So it could be that we've already spoken about it today. You know, you you accidentally, I don't know whether it was on purpose or not, but you you kind of lined it up and you did it. You know, you started talking about the fact that you've been out in cold water and or you've been out in the cold today and you notice that I go out in the cold water. Well, if I'd not shared that, yes, we've got that commonality, but you would never have known because I'd not shared that. So you have to it's almost like networking with and giving someone your CV, but you're kind of doing it on your own social media platform and really explaining the story as to how you you are you and what encompasses you. It could be that you've got a kid that plays karate and you might want to share a little bit about them. My business partner who owns a business completely separate to me, the brand is all around building, um, creating little bands for football boots to stop laces undoing. And she's a football mum. So, of course, like they, she tells the story of how she was at the side of a pitch one day and she got sick of her kids stopping the game to tie her shoelaces up. And suddenly you've got a little bit more of a, oh, OK, this isn't some rich footballer that's just come up with an idea. This is a football mum that's thinking what other football mums struggle with and what kids struggle with. And there's just suddenly a little bit more personal story behind the brand. So, yes, you don't need to share your entire life. You don't need to share your house. You don't need to put your wife and kids on if you don't want to. But just something that makes you relatable and actually gets you involved in conversations with people that wouldn't ordinarily talk to you you could just start talking to them about whatever it is that you're sharing on your social media and six messages down the line they might say what do you do for work then and then the next thing you know you're talking about this actually I could really do with that and because they've connected with you and they already know like and trust you suddenly you could have the next best customer so yeah personal branding isn't personal life but I do think you need to be able to be open in your personality and share, show up. You know, I'm quite dry, I'm quite sarcastic, I'm quite blunt. It's not for everybody. If somebody wants someone that's very calm and very woo-woo and that's fine. I'm not for them, but I've established that early doors in my personal branding because those people won't come to me because they already know what I'm like. So showing up in your business, putting a face behind the brand and, and really telling your story. And then if you do ever go off and leave that business behind, but you start something else, you've already got a connection and an audience that will go, well, I don't really want Ollie's product previously, but his new product looks really cool. And I know Ollie, I really like Ollie. I've listened to him before. I like what he's about. And they follow you over and support you in that journey. So it's almost like growing a fan club, really. That's a really nice way of looking at at it, growing a fan club. And I, I like the way you kind of describe it, because what you're really doing is you're you're kind of building your tribe in the sense that, you know, especially like that soccer mum example, you know, she's probably sharing things that other mums who have kids that play soccer can relate to and you know kind of the things in her life that are relevant to that audience so you're kind of like you're you're helping people you know kind of uh, belong to something uh so it's a really nice way of looking at it and i like what you said as well is like a personal brand is not your personal life and and it sounds simple like we say personal brand and everyone's like, oh yeah yeah no i need a personal brand but i think actually when it comes to putting one together i think people they're kind of like ooh, you know what do i share you know what do i say how do i struggle and i also really like that idea you you mentioned about your kind of networking and you're, it's like you're giving someone your CV, but let's face it, CVs are fucking boring. You know, it's like a piece, oh, of, piece of paper. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't have one. Never have. But you're you're doing a similar thing, but you're just bringing it to life with kind of posts and stories and, you know, kind of uh, videos and, and, and cool things like that. So I think that's really interesting. What, what do you think the best channels are now or platforms, let's say? And obviously we've talked about Clubhouse what do you think are the best kind of platforms to build a personal brand? But like, I know a lot of people who put a lot of work into Instagram 
and in the past have put a lot of work into Facebook. And now there's definitely, they're not doing everything in the way they maybe should do. They're not rebuilding this sort of personal brand that they, you know, in the right way, maybe, but they get very, very little return from it. What do you think are the best platforms? Where are the best opportunities basically to go and build a personal brand and then sell stuff off the back of it? It really does depend on your strengths. I mean, for example, let's, let's, we touched on Alex Chisnell earlier on, but he's obviously a podpreneur. He's very heavily uh, prominent in the podcasting space and he's built his personal brand in that audio space. You know, he's built it using podcasts and he's built it now solidifying the audio space on Clubhouse. Yes, he has an Instagram, but that's, it's definitely not where he shows up that much. I know that he has put a little bit more strategic thought into it recently. But that's kind of just an add-on to the rest of his personal brand. He did it purely through podcasting. He just stuck to that one stream for quite a long time. For me, personally, it depends on the business. If I'm more, if I'm thinking more corporate and if I'm thinking the type of clients that I want in Clubhouse like a pro, then it's LinkedIn and Clubhouse. But LinkedIn, there is still this, um, I guess, preconception that you shouldn't show up as your personal self and that you should show up as your business self. And actually personal branding is taking off over there. There's a lot more um, live features. There's more video working over there. There's a creator content profile that they're giving you now. And I think there is scope to really show up and identify yourself as how, how you like to turn up in your business instead of this suited and booted previous, I guess, kind of typical character that you would see over on LinkedIn. I mean, people people attack other people. Like, you know, sometimes on LinkedIn, if you share, not that I've done it, but people share like personal stuff, photos and things like that. And they get criticized by other people. Like, hey, hey, this is LinkedIn. This is professional. It's not, you know, not the place, uh, which is, you know, I think um, not something I identify with, but it's a shame. But, uh, you know, obviously they've got a lot of new tools by the sounds of things that, that aren't. They so have. Right. And of course, like, you know, you're always going to get people that don't really deal with tra- change very much. You've still got what I call like those dinosaurs that are in the corporate space that, you know, do think that you have to turn up in in completely suited and booted to do a good job. And they, they wouldn't do a meeting on Zoom. They would still want to get on a plane and, and have a meeting that actually could be a lot cheaper and more cost effective run over on a Zoom meeting, for yeah. example. You know, and those people will always exist on any platform. It's the same with people that do reels. You'll get some people at reels on Instagram and people go, you can never make a business acting like a tool on reels. Yeah. I know some people that have made hundreds of thousands, same with TikTok. So I think really, as long as you're showing up in a way you feel comfortable, I wouldn't worry about what they're they're not your, they're not your customer. They were never going to be your customer. So you just kind of have to take the rough with the smooth. Luckily I've not really been trolled in that way over on LinkedIn. I've only ever had positive feedback but I I do know that it does exist I like Instagram a lot and they've created some incredible new features however Instagram is I don't like using the word saturated but I'll use it in this sense it's very popular and there's a lot of um, traffic over there and a lot of noise and it can probably be quite a frustrating place for someone that's really started a brand new profile out However, again, if you can become strategic with it, optimize all the different features and use it alongside Clubhouse because your Clubhouse audience have a straight click through to Instagram, you could build up an engaged audience quite quickly. But ultimately, it's engagement that's going to override the number of followers that you have. So I think we are slowly coming away from this culture. And I know that Instagram have removed that 10K swipe up link. It's now anyone can have a link. So it stopped people buying followers. It stopped people pushing for those follows and actually looking for that engagement, looking to try and 
um, encourage people to actually take action and really connect with their audience and build a community. So I really don't think it matters what platform you're on because people are everywhere. But I do think it needs to be somewhere where you enjoy hanging out. Now, I don't enjoy YouTube. I barely use it as a user. And I can see so many benefits for me being over there, but I just don't have the brain space for it right now. A little bit like with TikTok, again, I actually quite enjoy looking at TikTok. Can I be bothered to put the TikToks together? No, not right now. So it's not, it would be more stressful than it potentially would be beneficial. Do I find Clubhouse super easy? Yes. Other people probably find it really difficult. So I just think you have to be very, again, sit down and be honest with yourself. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to commit to doing X, Y, and Z, but where do I want to hang out? And then make sure that you start your messaging towards your audience. You have to treat it like a business again, look at the analytics, what's working, what isn't working, what can I tweak, get feedback from people that are engaging on your post, go and speak to your target audience elsewhere and go, why aren't you engaging on my Instagram? What is it that you would be looking for? Oh, I'm not on Instagram. Okay, well, there you go. You need to go where they are. So it's trial and error. Again, this is why it pays to be an early adopter. It's one of the reasons why I think you should jump on Clubhouse now if you're listening to this and you haven't, because it is still a baby in comparison to these other big social media platforms. Much easier to build a following and a connection when you're first in than it is 10 years down the line when the world and their wife are on it. So that would be another reason to jump on Clubhouse if you haven't already. Good advice. I mean, I've really enjoyed being on Clubhouse for the times I've been there. One thing I would say, and this is um, completely just a reflection on how busy my life is because I have a like a, an agency that I, I co-founded, um, is that I love Clubhouse, but it requires a lot of my time when I dive in there, especially if I'm invited to a stage. I need to kind of pay attention for like maybe 90 minutes, which is really good. I really enjoy that because I think it has a great human connection. You're talking to people and, uh, you know, it's, it's, so it's really, really nice. But sometimes I struggle to kind of, you know, have, carve out enough time to get on there. And I would like to be using it a lot more. You know, as you said, really important. It kind of depends on your style as well. Are you good on video or are you good in audio? It's, sometimes it's really nice having the camera off. You can sit there in your, in your pants, in your tracksuit bottoms with your AirPods on and you can just talk in Clubhouse and you can be just as an ex- much of an expert as someone who's, you know, in a professional studio setup. So um, it's, it's a nice leveler. No, I agree. And, I, you know, I think that's one of the reasons why I've really enjoyed it, especially jumping in those American rooms, because I can be pretty much ready for bed. And I'm in, a, in, a, in a, an American room late at night and nobody knows that I'm sat there speaking in a dressing gown and maybe a towel on my head with my hair wet. Um, and, it, you know, it, it's... I've really enjoyed it. It's really made me feel like a proper sense of working from home in the sense of I don't have to can just be chilled. Whereas now, because of the pandemic, working from home is a bit more stressful, isn't it? Because you're typically running meetings and you don't feel as remote as you used to. Whereas I feel like you can like pick up the phone and give some really strong advice, sell a couple of courses. And actually, that's a pretty decent day for a lot of people. And yeah. if you're utilising Clubhouse effectively and you're not after stupid million pound deals that everyone promises you that you're never going to get, really, you know, for someone that's got a course and they're looking to just get in front of an an audience now um, or a webinar example you've got the link feature you could put the link in and you could get a couple of sales just for talking whilst you're walking to your next client or wherever you've got to go so that i think the the possibilities and the opportunities are there but you need to be quite strategic and when you're on it you need to make sure that you're getting that return on investment and not just jumping into rooms for the sake of it that's good advice again thinking through having some kind of strategy so if you're going to turn up on stages and you're going to speak to people they're going to want to find out more about you if you have a product or a course or an ebook or something that they can have and you know some way of following up it's it's great because then you're not going to lose that sort of um those hot connections if that makes sense yeah um, so Lindsay, a couple of really quick fire questions for you. And then I, um, uh, I think uh, we have, I've taken up a lot of your time and I'm really grateful for you kind of, you know, going so deep in these areas. So 
What's your definition of success? Success for me is having the ability to go out and enjoy what I want to do when I want to do it. So I know a lot of people, they strive for money or they strive for their name on the door or some kind of recognition. But just to be able to wake up and go, to, okay, actually today, I don't want to work. I'm going to go out and enjoy the mountains or the beach or whatever, knowing that you still got to work, but maybe later on just having that flexibility and that freedom. So sort of lifestyle, I guess. Yeah. Freedom and lifestyle is very close to me in what my definition is as well. And I think the really interesting thing is, is it is very achievable, especially in this world. It's very, very achievable, a lot more achievable than a lot of people think. What gets you out of bed in the morning, apart from scraping off ice off your car and driving 17 miles? And your alarm. Apart from that. So what, <laughs> what, what motivates you? What, what gets you fired up? Not every morning, but what's the, what's the thing that kind of makes you want to get out of bed the most to get stuck into? I don't do anything long enough that I don't want to do. So if I'm doing something that's making me unhappy, I change it pretty swiftly within reason. I mean, we all have jobs in our day that we don't want to do. But, you know, I do review my life enough that actually as long as I'm, what I'm doing makes me happy on a regular basis, then I don't have to question getting out. But it's just something I, I just do it. I don't have a, a thought process in it. It's just habits that I created that back to what we were talking about in the beginning is ultimately they're leading to a, a better quality of life. So yeah, just it's not really a proper answer. It's definitely not motivation. No, it's good. I mean, I think what you're saying essentially is that you don't overthink it. You just get up and do it. And uh, which is, I think, a, a good recipe. My last question I want to ask you, who inspires you the most? And it doesn't have to be like Tony Robbins or Elon Musk. Or it could be your grandmother or your dog or like, but who who consistently like inspires you the most and you kind of look up to and, you know, think they're a good model of something? I struggle with this a lot because I actually don't buy into a lot of these um, iconic figures that a lot of people do. Instead of like a specific person, I would say for me, it's the people around me that I know have made something out of, out of, not a lot and that you know I know a lot of these people personally and I know a few of them not so personally but just following them on Instagram etc they're the sort of people that keep me motivated and in fact the one person that I would say actually has been a massive inspiration is Jack Ayers E-Y-E-R-S and if you can get him on your podcast he'd be a great fit for you he he was the first person he was local to here he's um an amputee he actually chose to get his I can't remember which leg it is removed about 16 after having problems with it all the way through his childhood. And he's um, a male uh, model and athlete, but he's just someone that I know just didn't look at his life in any negative way. You know, he, he just took it full steam ahead and he's done really, really well for himself. And, and he shows up all the time. I still see him on social media, popping up on my social media feed. And he was the person that said to me once I went to the gym and I said, do you think I can compete? And he goes, yeah, absolutely. And he really just gave me that sort of kick up the bum to do it. Didn't know him. I just booked in a private personal training session with him. I can't even remember how I came about his details, but I, I'm always seeing little snippets of him. He's always winning awards on all sorts of levels. And he's done a lot for people that have maybe got body confidence issues because they've gone through some kind of traumatic event and he's a great great guy and he's and he's local i don't know where he is now but if you haven't come across him um he's easy on the eye as well <laughs> oh there you go 
I just had a quick look at I found him on Instagram. That's that's great. That's a good recommendation. Thanks for thanks for finding someone. Um so obviously I'll share links to everything that we've discussed, you know, books and things like that. I'll share links to your social media and to your businesses and your websites. But sort of quickly for people, if they've enjoyed this conversation, which I know they will have done because it's been rich and we've covered a lot of stuff. So thank you for that. Where can people find you? What's the best place to go and find you, follow you and kind of get in touch or, you know, find out? For me, Clubhouse or Instagram. So I'm Lindsay Suzanne underscore on Instagram and Lindsay Suzanne on Clubhouse. Um, if you Googled Lindsay Suzanne, I'm pretty much the only person that comes up anyway. But yeah, you're predominant. If you want to see me getting in the sea, then Instagram. If you want to hear me talking about getting in the sea, then Clubhouse. <laughs> there we go. And you do more than just get in the sea, obviously. Ed. You, you've told us on this podcast. Lindsay, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And uh, if you're up for it, let's do part two on that kind of that kind of extreme fat loss side and the kind of physique side but um have a great day i'm sure you're jumping back onto clubhouse shortly so just basically thank you for coming on the torchbearer podcast thank you for having me